This program is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you like what you hear and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm. You're listening to the podcast of Panel Borders, Resonance FM's monthly radio show about comics, sequential art, and graphic novels. I'm Alex Fitch, and in this episode, I'm talking to graphic novelist Riyad Satouf a political cartoonist whose work is best known as being featured in the pages of the satirical French magazine Charlie Hebdo. Riyad is also a filmmaker, and I'll be discussing his career as a filmmaker later in the podcast, and has most recently turned his mind to graphic memoir, with the first volume of a five-volume graphic novel series entitled The Arab of the Future, chronicling his autobiography as a mixed-race, mixed-culture child growing up in the Middle East and France. So we're here today to talk about the first volume of The Arab of the Future. It starts off as a childhood memoir, and presumably by the time that it gets to the end of the fifth volume, it'll reach you know your adulthood. Um, when it came to talking about your life, did you realise that it would take quite so many volumes and quite so many pages to tell it? Yeah, I had a little idea of the the amount of pages, but not precisely. Uh, I, I had the idea of the first volume, and the second one um, came later. But now I think I, I will stop at five volumes. Yeah. Okay. But it's always moving in my mind, so I don't know really. I want to tell all the good story. I think they are good. I just I don't know. But uh, and I I don't want to. Um, avoid some of them for example so that's why so it's mm. going bigger mm. and I want to make a comics of 800 pages <laughs> <laughs> I think it's uh, it's nice mm. well and in a way it's almost in defiance of the traditional way uh, that in France you buy say graphic albums which are only 64 pages and they come out like every I don't know six months or something that you're actually going for an epic tome yeah. <laughs> no it's true and and uh, w- w- my uh, w- one of my goal is that uh, I, I try to to make a, a, a long comic book that is that could interest people who are not um, used to comics for example because mm. one of my uh, reference is my uh, grandmother who hated comics you know mm. she hated batman and superman superheroes and she was thinking it was for uh, retarded people i don't know how to say. and I, that complexed me a lot because i was always thinking what what kind of book could i make to to please her it's just she wanted to read it so mm. so i tried to to do this in the arab of the future not just i, I want I try to exclude nobody, you know. Mm. And it's true that in France, for example, you have the small albums, you know, big and small albums with uh, 46 pages, and this is a reference in France. And it became a outsider category in the comics. I don't know, it's, there is a comic world mm. and people who read real, mm. between, uh, real books. Between. And I, tr- I'm, uh, I would like to... To unite, to to try to participate, to unite the mm. two worlds. Well, and also in terms of the expected styles of comics, the way that you draw is kind of traditionally like a cartoonist, and indeed you, you've had work in Charlie Hebdo, and the kind of 
drawings that perhaps people expect from French comics will be their sort of heavy rendered uh, metal hurlant style, which is all sort of like muscly, you know, men and skimpy women, and then perhaps the clear line style of something like Hergé, while yours is more sort of traditionally um, that of a cartoonist who works in humour and satire. So is it unusual for someone to draw a long-form comic in that style in France? No, because um, <clears throat> for me, my main reference is uh, Hergé. Okay. I think. Um, but just because it's, my, it's the strongest uh, emotion I had with the comics, because mm. it was the first one. And um, because uh, when I was a child, uh, I only read uh, Tintin when mm. I was in Syria. And uh, it was the only book we had at home. So, and uh, and it started because I, Tintin uh, was some kind of uh, magic ma- magic uh, thing. It was like uh, the sun or uh, the sky or the. It was here for. Uh, uh, one day I realized that somebody was drawing and doing this. Mm. Because uh, before that, I was thinking it was here forever, since ever. And when I realized that somebody was able to do this and to produce that, I wanted to do mm. the same. Um, and uh, what I love in Hergé's style is uh, simplicity of uh, you know small uh, panels next mm. to each and others, uh, calm to read, no no explosion everywhere mm. and no uh, I love this kind of comics of course I love comics all kind of comics I, I'm a huge fan of uh, you know um, Hellboy or mm. uh, I, I, my god on earth is Richard Corbin you know it's <laughs> so different from what I bet I, uh, for uh, this I wanted to make small panels like Hershey with simple text simple to read mm. because also you know uh, when you do things in the Hergé style, even though the human figure may be reduced down to dots for eyes and just like a simple line for, mm-hmm. for a smile, you can get so much emotion in just manipulating yeah. those elements. Of course, it's, uh, uh, I think the, the human brain hates uh, the emptiness, for example, and mm. uh, Hergé is a master of using emptiness to put you inside uh, an image. And when you... And th- th- this has been always fascinating me uh, for a long time because mm. there is no details in his book. And sometimes I, I, I draw some scenes in my book and I say, stop, no, don't put much more details. One of the great masters of uh, emptiness like that is, uh, it's my opinion, uh, is uh, Chris Ware. Mm. He's, uh, he's, uh, for me, he's the greatest... Uh, cartoonist living today and uh, with his powerful uh, um, ability to to show emptiness so the mind of the reader come inside this emptiness and you you feel things that other comic books cannot make you feel I don't know this is this was kind of my goal I want right, mm. to follow those masters <laughs> <laughs> Um, but also, because you're depicting childhood, uh, in a way, you think of the kind of images that children respond to as being the more sort of simplistic kind of cartoon. So it actually seems a very ideal way of depicting the world as your protagonist is yourself as a child. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was really interested to to show the world from the point of view of a, a young boy because 
what is wonderful with children is that they don't judge or sometimes they judge but uh, they see things and they accept things as they are mm. so if you tell a horrible racist thing to a children he will mm. say oh yeah you're right uh, maybe you're right you're an adult you're my father and this point of view is i think it's quite interesting because uh, it's uh, it's a honest uh, mm. point of view it's uh, it hides nothing for example when i was a child i was always fascinated by the fact that if as a child you kill somebody it's your parents who go to to prison mm. not you and i would say oh yeah i can do what i want you can you're not responsible <laughs> when you're a child. This is a, a very... Um, I, I, I try to make a point, a non-responsible point of view, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so the children, he, he, he's in, my, in the realm of the future, he, he sees things, he, what, he, he hears things that are awful for a lot of them, mm. but he never judges them because for him it's normal. Mm. And this point of view I wanted, I wanted to let the reader to make his own opinion. Mm. Um, so as you continue the series, do you think you might change your drawing style as your character gets older to reflect a more adult point of view? Or do you think you'll keep it the same? I don't know. I think the, the style of the drawings evolve by himself. Mm. I don't know. It's uh, it's um, like a living creature. I don't know. Sometimes in the pages there is uh, two or three different styles. For example, mm. sometimes if I have to draw precisely a face... The drawing will be much more uh, realistic a little bit, and sometimes just for somebody who is passing, it will be only dots mm. for right. It's, um, I don't know, I, I don't, I, I try to not intellectualize too much mm. this point, uh, this, 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 this style of drawing. Mm. But it, it's interesting that something that um, uh, your younger self in the book is shown to have an aptitude uh, for drawing, for actually doing recognizable images of other people, you know, even when very young. But then in order to assimilate with your peers, you stop drawing and just sort of scratching on paper. I mean, how long did you spend uh, kind of not drawing as a child, <laughs> you know, before you got back to it? No, it was, it, it was one of my, uh, my goal to, to tell a little bit the story of how we can become a drawer or mm. how we can all the children they love to draw and mm. some of them uh, and I think for me uh, you know sometimes adults they use the, the term he's gifted mm. like a uh, uh, paranormal force mm. tell, told you you will, you will be wonderful in that uh, <laughs> art uh, you will be and I think it doesn't exist it's only and I show it in my book because mm. one day I've drawn a, a face of a man mm. it was a very children face you know and my grandmother she looked at the drawing and she saw in it the face of a French president who is called Pompidou mm. and she looked at me and she said what Draw Pompidou, <laughs> and then I said, I didn't knew, I didn't know what uh, what it was, and she took the drawing to my father and said, look, he drew Pompidou. Mm. My father, who was interested in politics, said, my God, it's true, it's Pompidou. What did you draw? And I, I replied because I heard them say, I said Pompidou, and in their eyes, I saw the that I was a genius, <laughs> uh, in all, a genius because I. Knew who was Pompidou, mm. a genius because I was able to draw Pompidou, and this this is the, the look in their eyes that I try to 
find again and again by drawing, you know. Mm-hmm. You want to impress people, to, to show people that you want, you want them to look at you as you, you are a non-human, you are mm-hmm. an exception. Mm-hmm. And I think this is what I'm still doing today, I'm drawing Pompidou and people <laughs> read my book and say, ah, oh. and uh, this is a um, very... It's quite ridiculous in a way to become a cartoonist for, mm. for it, but I think it's uh, the majority of uh, you know it's a simple story that leads uh, what you you do in life. It's seeking for love, maybe I don't know. Mm. But but it, but it was interesting, like I said, that um, in order to fit in with your peers, you had to kind of scratch out yeah. the drawing because you didn't want to appear special. Exactly because I I, I realized I wanted to be special for my family mm. and for the others. Um, it was very difficult to be better than them. I don't know how to. Yeah. Uh, if I was started to draw a face or something, and the, the child next to me, he was, uh, you know, scratching his uh, sheet like that, and he was thinking he was doing the good thing. So uh, mm. everybody was doing this scratching. Yeah. So I said, okay, I have to make like everybody because uh, if not, they will not talk to me, and mm. this is what I've done. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe reading too much into the kind of work you do and the way that the book is all about having a mixed heritage, that you're sort of caught between the French world and the Middle Eastern world. It's interesting that um, you did a slice of life strip for Charlie Hebdo where it's all about real life and depicting scenes from real life and presumably the majority, if not all, the other cartoons in the magazine are just kind of satire. Is that... An unusual thing for someone to do, you know, sort of a realistic strip in a, a satirical magazine in France. I think uh, because for me, I'm I, I'm not able to make satirical drawing. For example, mm. uh, I can I cannot draw uh, David Cameron on his <laughs> yacht. You know, it's mm. uh, this kind of drawing is not my style, and it's not what I like. Uh, I draw comics. I love comics. I love uh, succession of panels and uh, with a mm. story and. Uh, graphic style various uh, so um, I don't know uh, um, it's for example uh, um, now um, I'm making a, a comics for a, a French newspaper called uh, Le Nouvel Observateur Lops, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm the only comics of the magazine also oh, right. so okay. it's um, I don't know it's my way of expression I, I cannot do I can't do uh, something else and I'm always very happy to bring comics in places uh, where there is no comics. Mm. This is, uh, I don't know, I love that. Because a lot of readers, you know, they don't really like comics. And if you show them, they realize that they can read it. Mm. They are able, it's easy. And yeah. it's not on, only uh, stories of uh, muscular superheroes, <laughs> and, uh, which I love, by the mm, way. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it could be other things. But I suppose what I was getting at is just that, in the way, being mixed culture isn't dissimilar between your comics having a style that's um, associated with humour, but actually is telling a story that's about realism. So it's mm. combining two unexpected things. Yeah, maybe. Um, it's true that it's not uh, really intellectualized. I'm not... Uh, maybe it's true, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I love humour. Mm. But I love dark humor. I love uh, humor about sad things. I don't mm. know. It's um, what is the term English term? It's black. Oh, in yeah, black humor. I think. In, uh, yeah, black yeah. humor. Uh, you know, it's. Uh, I'm a big fan of, but like uh, millions of people, but you know, from uh, Ricky Gervais. 
Mm. For mm. example, it's kind of it's funny and depressing also, <laughs> and, and tells about life. You know, it's uh, I don't know. I I love this style of point of view on things. Mm. Um, you also made a few films, um, and the most recent one you did, uh, Jackie in the Land of Women, um, and indeed, actually, to uh, it reminds me of um, another work of yours uh, about circumcision. That they're both satires about the way that kind of gender politics has an influence in our lives. So even when you're doing fantastical tales, I guess there's an element of real-life uh, commentary that you're bringing to your stories. Yeah, maybe, yeah. And it's true that Jackie and the Woman King Kingdom um, was uh, a commercial uh, failure, you know. Nobody <laughs> went to see it. it <laughs> was a, uh, but it's true that I'm really interested in the... I, I, I'm not really interested in uh, religion, for example, and mm. for uh, belief and things like that. It's, uh, I don't think it's the main, um, the, the, the center of things. I don't know. I think the relation between the gender is the center of all the problems. What we, <laughs> you know, it's uh, uh, and it's very funny, funny and interesting to me to observe and and try to tell how. Uh, people are built by society to become men and mm. women and if you're a little bit different and you don't want to be built like that you you are ex excluded or mm -hmm. not and this is uh, very interesting I think for I don't know it's uh, this is what interests me a lot mm. well I mean people other people who have interviewed you about the Arab of the future have tried to get you to talk about your politics. Um, and so far you've always said that, well, it's the story of a child and he sees things the way that children see things. But obviously readers are going to read things into it so that when they see uh, the boy in the Middle East, he seems to be undergoing far more kind of brutal experiences like being pelted by stones by the children. And then when he's in France, it's a bit more genteel. I mean, does it worry that people are extrapolating a meaning even if you don't want to be drawn on it publicly? Not really. It, it doesn't worry me because um, I'm telling things I've seen that uh, now with YouTube uh, you can mm. find hundreds of videos that are similar to what I'm telling. So it's not... Uh, it's not... Uh, I'm... <clears throat> How can I say? I, I'm 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 not feeling myself responsible mm. of protecting, uh, you know, point of view on people and things mm. like that. Uh, this is gonna be a, a long story, and uh, in the the other volume, I would speak about France and people would say, ah, oh, he's seen this also <laughs> in France and blah blah blah. And, mm. and of course, now uh, it's the first volume; it's happening in the Middle East. It was a, I've seen real brutal things, and uh, it was a. Rural, rural, rural life, mm -hmm. rude rural life, and uh, it's. I think it deserves to be told as I, I've seen it. You know, there is plenty of um, stories about rude rural life uh, in Europe, nineteenth mm. um, century. Of, for example, Prosper Mérimée in France. I'm not comparing myself to them, but the told story, you know, of. Uh, mm. Um, people living in village and killing each other and killing animals and mm. being very cruel and and for example uh, Dickens made this also with uh, mm. so stories you have very brutal elements in mm. the side 
and uh, but uh, the Middle East, uh, there is no things like that. So, mm. uh, and I don't want to make a book that represents the Arab world. I think mm. uh, everybody wants. I think because there is no sto- no real stories of from that part of the world. Mm. People each time there is a story coming and telling about that. Everybody wants to be the definitive big stories mm. on the Arab world. You know, yeah, I think it's. Each story is a real part, a small part, and mm. it's, um, I'm just adding my my testimony. I don't know, and, and I let the reader to enlarge himself because uh, he, reading my book, he would be convinced of something in the first one, and the second volume, he will say, "Oh, but uh, it's not what I saw." And mm. the third one, he said, "Hey, yes, it's." Uh, and the fourth, "Oh my God, no! Mm. It's always there is no tr- no one truth." I think. Mm. Well, except I suppose. Uh, the truth of the innocence of children that they take things I at have face the value. Truth in my well, no, but I mean, you know, you, you talked about you talked about Dickens. I mean, and if you think of, you know, his child protagonists, uh, like you know Oliver Twist, uh, you know, growing up in an orphanage and and finding the kind of brutality of that life, Pip in Great Expectations, letting a convict into his house because he just treats him as a human being without you know preconceptions. Uh, it means that you are leaving the narrative open to uh, an ambiguous reading because you're not imposing an adult's point of view on the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what I'm trying to do. Um, I, I know that some readers will, will read, but I, my re- I have to tell a special message. My readers are all extremely intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> I've never met a stupid readers of my comics. Yeah, I've met... Uh, maybe two who didn't like it <laughs> and they were stupid this mm. is, but the, my readers you know they like human stories they I don't know they, they know that life could be hard sometimes for people and they think uh, all the people are equal and uh, you know when I was in Syria all the children I've met were extremely intelligent children they were they didn't have the chance to be born in a rich country with mm. a but they were uh, very um, uh, smart, and uh, so um, I, don't, I don't know. I'm telling about life conditions, and not. Uh, I think my readers understand that. Mm. Well, I mean, it seems to be a type of graphic storytelling that's really popular at the moment is the memoir, and maybe it's because we're so used to comics being about spaceships, about superheroes, about you know. Uh, Red demons who work with uh, you know oh, the yeah, American forces exactly. <laughs> Red demons. Um, uh, well, because you said you were a fan of Hellboy. No, I love um, it. You know that maybe because truth is stranger than fiction in a lot of cases. Once you start putting a memoir into comic books, those kind of stories become unusual just because the medium they're presented in. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's true that, for example, the story of the Arab of the future. I told about it for ten years when I was. Uh, because I, I, in France, I've made comics for 15 years, and um, I had interviewed, and I, mm. in interviews, I was telling, yeah, I was my childhood in Syria and Libya, and I lived in a small village, and people were not so interested in this, you know, they were saying, oh, okay, maybe. And when I, I put it in with image and story, and all people realized and said, oh, my God, this is, this is it. Mm. So I think uh, comics, comic medium is an incredibly powerful um, mm. me- media. It's uh, quite stupid to say that, but 
because all comic artists say that, but I he, it's comic book is the first language of human. It's very mm. in the caves. Uh, people were telling story to each other using drawings. It's uh, I don't know all in the ancient Egypt. It was uh, drawings and it's. Um, well, and, and I suppose ultimately uh, the title of the book, The Arab of the Future, is an optimistic title because, you know, if it's uh, a mixed race, mixed culture child who is looking ahead, it seems to be all about cultures assimilating and finding some kind of common ground. Yeah, um, The Arab of the Future is a term that my father employed a lot when I didn't want to go to school because he was obsessed with school and he was uh, telling me always, like, uh, I was telling him, oh, I don't want to go to school. And he told me, yeah, you have to go to school because the Arab of the future go to school. Because for him, the Arab of the past and the Arab uh, actual Arab was like his family. He didn't know how to read and to... And and also the Arab of the future is uh, also like an outdated title. You know, it's like a golden past age that is completely inexistent today. And, and also Arab, what means Arab? For my father, who was a nationalist, it had a, me- a meaning. But, for example, today, um, what means to be a Londoner or, mm. or an English or European? Or it's uh, the definition of nationalism that is uh, in- encapsulated in the title. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much. The first volume of Riyad Satouf's graphic novel memoir, The Arab of the Future is available now in the UK from Two Roads Books. And if you're bilingual, the second volume is available now in French and will be translated into English soon. You can find more information about the Arab of the future by going to thearabofthefuture.com and you can find more information about Two Roads Books by going to tworoadsbooks.com with Riyadh's memoir listed amongst the non-fiction titles. The graphic memoir is a notable addition to the kind of great graphic novels being produced by British cartoonists over the last few years, and a selection of these, as well as classic superhero, science fiction and humour titles, are on display at the moment in an exhibition called The Great British Graphic Novel at the Cartoon Museum on Little Russell Street near the British Museum, in Fitzrovia. The Great British Graphic Novel features original artwork by the likes of Mark Buckingham, Dave McKean, Posey Simmons, Mary and Brian Tolbert, Hunt Emerson, and many, many more luminaries of the British graphic novel scene, and the exhibition runs in the museum until July. There are various free and paid events taking place alongside the exhibition, including free 10-minute talks by Dr Monica Walker, who will be highlighting various titles that are being exhibited in the show, including Hunt Emerson's adaptation of Lady Chatterley's Lover, which will be in discussion at noon and 3pm on the 7th of May, Alan Moore and David Lloyd's V for Vendetta, which Dr Walker will be discussing on the 22nd of May, and there will also be talks on Brian Tolbert's The Adventures of Luther Arkwright and The Tale of One Bad Rat in June. On the 4th of May... Brian Tolbert and Mary Tolbert will be at the Cartoon Museum from 6.30pm talking about their latest graphic novel, The Red Virgin and the Vision of Utopia, which chronicles the life of Louise Michel, 
the revolutionary feminist who fought for the Paris Commune in 1871. And then on the 12th of May, as part of the Nationwide Museums at Night event, from 6.30pm there are live events, interactive workshops, talks by artists, experts and more in the museum as part of their graphic novel night. Alongside the Great British Graphic Novel Show, there's also an exhibition currently running at the Cartoon Museum looking at the art of classic Doctor Who novels, featuring the work of artists such as Chris Achelios, Andrew Skilleter, Roy Knipe, Jeff Cummins and more. And the exhibition runs until the 15th of May. For more information about all Cartoon Museum exhibitions and events, please go to cartoonmuseum.org. If you're a fan of independent comics, Paul O'Connell's excellent The Sound of Drowning comic is being republished in a 200-page retrospective currently funding on Kickstarter. Featuring O'Connell's terrific satirical fumetti strips, as well as choice examples of his and Lawrence Elwick's music comedy, Charlie Parker Handyman, The Sound of Drowning is an excellent comic worth picking up, showcasing one of the finest talents of British comics over the last decade. O'Connell has announced that he may be retiring from the medium, so this is a great opportunity to pick up a collection of his bravura strips. You can fund The Sound of Drowning by going to Kickstarter and searching for The Sound of Drowning, with such perks including signed copies of the book, CD soundtracks, A2 posters and much more. It only costs a pound to contribute a little to the collection, or print copies start at £15. The Kickstarter campaign runs until the end of May and is well worth a look. Next Saturday, the 7th of May, is Free Comic Book Day, with events taking place at various comic book shops across London. At Gosh Comics, 1 Berwick Street, Soho, they have a kids' workshop from 11am to 2pm, featuring artists John Allison, Emma Viacelli, Rachel Smith, Gary Northfield, Joe DeSee, Mark Ellaby, and many more, which includes window painting and a draw with the artists, Table for Kids. Then from 3pm, there is a signing by Guardian cartoonists, Tom Gould, Simone Lear, Crent Abel, and Stephen Collins. From 5pm, they have various image comic book creators in store, including Kieran Gillen, Christian Ward, Tula Lote, Casper Wingard, and Dan Walters, who will be signing their work from 5 till 6. And then from 7pm, there's a launch party for the various new titles being published by Avery Hill, including artists Rachel Smith, EDOP, Matt Swan, and Owen Pomery. You can find more information about all GOSH events by going to goshlondon.com. At Forbidden Planet on Shaftesbury Avenue, they have a signing of the new Punisher comic by artist Steve Dillon on Wednesday the 4th of May from 6pm. And then as their free comic book day event, they're celebrating Doctor Who comics, with writers Cavan Scott, Rob Williams and artist Rachel Stott in store, signing a Forbidden Planet exclusive variant of the free comic book day Doctor Who comic, and that's from 1pm on Saturday. Just down the road at Orbital Comics, 8 Great Newport Street, their free comic book day event features the latest free comic book day 2000 AD special edition, with artists Hannah Berry, Henry Flint, Alec Worley, 
Danny and writer Peter Milligan plus editor Matt Smith in store from 2pm. You can find more information about Orbital Comics by going to orbitalcomics.com. Obviously, if you want to pick up free comics from any of these shops, it's advisable to get to the branches as soon as possible before opening, before they run out of stock. Panel Borders was recorded, edited and introduced by Alex Fitch. It's a Panel Borders production and will be back next week on Tuesday the 10th of May at 8pm on Resonance 104.4 FM and DAB, where I'll be talking to various creators who have worked on Avery Hill publications. And for all previous episodes, please go to our blog, www.panelborders.wordpress.com. Thanks for listening. This program has been brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. If you liked what you heard and want to support our work, please make a donation at fundraiser.resonance.fm.